You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. This is the second week of May, and the hits continue to roll. We've got record-breaking scores to go over the beginning of the WNBA season, the regular season, that is. Uh, Kraken season in review. The rain began their regular season, and it was hell. Uh, Seahawks, kind of some aftermath of the draft mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, the Mariners continue their season. Well, I guess that's kind of a, a, a capsule min of everything going on. So uh, with that being said, we've got a ton of stuff to go over. So we will hop right over to the Seahawks. We have a couple of team notes here. On May 5th, this, it was announced that the Seahawks will take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Germany on November 13th. First ever regular season game in Germany will kick off at 6.30 a.m. Game will be played in Allianz Arena, home of Bay. Bayern Munich. It will be the first major non-soccer event held at the arena. Also on team notes, KJ Wright has spoken with Seattle. Free agent linebacker KJ Wright says he is hopeful to have a reunion with the Seahawks. Pete Carroll says that they have spoken but did not go further than that. It just that one, just to quickly note on both of those. Firstly, mm-hmm. 6:30? You know, wake up really early for that. I mean, that's specific time. You know, East Coast is 9:30 and that's a little bit better, but here in Seattle at 6.30 in the morning to watch that game against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. I'm a little crazy, Yay. and 6.30 is my normal schedule. Oh. So. <laughs> not not me. No. <laughs> um, but then with KJ, I don't know how much of that you saw, but it seemed a lot like most of that conversation. KJ talked about, I think, in a... In a uh, uh, a guest appearance he did in a, in a media thing that mm-hmm. he was like, Oh, Seattle knows I wants to be back. Yeah. It's, it's home. You know, it just kind of seemed like last year with the Raiders was just kind of like a one-off, like, you know, Seattle didn't bring me back. So I'm going to have to go somewhere. Right. Um, and then uh, Pete talked about it and he said, Oh, we've talked to him. And then that's it. I didn't said, think we talked about was a future. No, yeah. especially with going to more of a three four set, people go, oh, why won't he why wouldn't they bring him back? Mm-hmm. You go into a three four set, KJ as an outside linebacker is not really a rushing guy. So it wouldn't make sense in that three four defense. Um it sounded like Pete Carroll might have been talking to him about a future role, like a coaching thing, which I think oh, KJ would be great in a coaching aspect. But that does not sound like what KJ wants to do right now. So it just seems like KJ was like, Oh, I'm excited. He's like, I don't know about that because it really seems like they're going with this sort of youth movement, you know, with some of the younger guys, you know, signing Nwosu and free agency, um, having Jordan Brooks kind of step up and be that guy, mm-hmm. you know, signing Boye Mafe. Um, Boye Mafe. <laughs> Comment from last week. Uh, just ridiculous. People are annoying. Um, but yeah, so that it kind of seems like the cards are stacked against KJ. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy having KJ right. And I think he'd obviously his speed is not there and you might not be where he was athletically a few years ago, obviously, right. As mm-hmm. people yeah. get older uh, and he's not that old, but you know what I mean? But it's, um, it just, it seems like with the youth sort of movement and with the new formation, it doesn't seem like it's in the cards. Um, and then with Germany, yeah, with, you know, playing in a Lions arena, I think playing in the home of Bayern Munich is like the, I think the other ones that the NFL will play are all in a different building after this year mm-hmm. so i mean cool to be the first major non-soccer event held in that building yeah for sure but i don't know people are like oh are you excited i don't really care i mean i'm not gonna be there you know it's yeah it's cool and all and but it's like it's it's a home i think we're supposed to be the home team so we lose a game at lumen field 
you know, which for years has been a, um, you know, it has been a home field advantage, but in recent years, it hasn't really. Um, I'm kind of indifferent. I'm like, hey, that's cool. You know, if we played in London, sure, you know, but does it help you if you win that game in the standings? Uh, like extra? No. Right. So I don't know. That's how I, I'm, I, you know, I might get attacked for that, but I don't really care as much. I don't know about you. <laughs> I, again, yeah, just like you said, I don't really care so much like i do care when games are here in lumen field but as far as playing anywhere else then it's not such a big deal to me either um what i did think going back to the kj right is uh pete carroll's reactions to players saying that they want to come play it's like he doesn't really entertain it ever and he's yeah. just like yeah okay whatever so um if we don't like it we don't really care <laughs> yeah exactly if you're not on our radar then cool <laughs> yeah for, cool thanks, thanks for, for the consideration you. yeah i know <laughs> Yeah, so moving on here, on May 6th, cornerback Kobe Bryant announced that he would wear number eight to honor, of course, NBA legend Kobe Bryant. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, I mean, it's cool. Obviously, that's his namesake, right? Yeah. But I never really, like when the, the league did the whole thing with switching the jersey numbers to where you can basically be anything you want. Mm -hmm. And if like last year, I know it was like, hey, if you want to change immediately, you have to pay up, buy out your stock of jerseys, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I get that some people who maybe have Kobe Bryant stickers on their laptop might not like that sort of thing. But again, it's similar to the Germany thing. I'm indifferent. It's like, okay, your number's great. You know, you talk about, you know, the Mamba mentality thing. And I think he changed from seven I think he wore seven at Cincinnati primarily until they played Alabama in this college football playoff, and he changed it to eight for that. Okay. You know, okay, I need you to produce. You know, obviously there's a lot to live up to, not only in the name, right, but in the number now. So uh, not like you're putting the standard on or the bar on yourself, but you kind of are. You see yeah, what I mean? I it's think like, you definitely are, especially by having just that last name. And that number together. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you're coming into a cornerback room. That's We've gone over this several times, <laughs> right? With the draft. Sidney Jones, Trey Brown last year was a rookie. Uh, Justin Coleman, uh, Artie Burns, Tariq Woolen, another guy who a lot of people like as a raw prospect out of this draft. So, hey, man, earn your stripes. Then I really don't care. If Just like with Richard Sherman, you know, people always complain about Richard Sherman running his mouth or DK with, you know, getting people's faces and causing shit. If you back it up, I really don't care what you do. I really don't care. If you're a guy, you know, that like Jalen Ramsey, I hate Jalen Ramsey, but it's because he does his job and he gets in people's heads. Yeah. It's like in wrestling. If you're a heel, you want to be, you want people to be pissed off. And if you're pissing people off, you're doing your job. So at the end of the day, you don't care so much about that about his number rather than like his performance. Yep. Yeah. If okay. he, if he performs well, um, you earned it. Cool. Yeah. Don't really care, you know? Sure. So I'm, I'm not, I'm indifferent to it, but it sounds like you might not be. No, I mean, obviously in the NBA, the Jersey numbers are retired for a reason so that the legends can keep their number. And it just kind of didn't sit well with me that he would, can, he would in another sport, of course, but, still um put that combo together it just felt kind of weird <laughs> um but moving on here uh four seahawks draft picks have signed their rookie deals Tariq Woolen, tyreek smith bo melton and i'm gonna ask for your assistance on that name 
I don't want to say that Greek wrong. Young. Okay, that's what I thought, but I wanted to be sure. <laughs> um, what do you think? Um, I mean, it's good to see that. Obviously, you don't want to ever want to get in too many situations where it's like rookies getting a big deal about their signing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, those are sort of the later round guys. It's always interesting to see the numbers because you got when you talk about offseason cap space, you have to incorporate the rookies because mm-hmm. if you got a first rounder, that's a couple million dollars. Right. You know, once you get to some of these guys, I'm sure it's not that big, obviously, because, you know, the, the higher the round, the more money, the more initial money you're getting. Um Eh, eh, you know, I'm interested to see like what Cross signs for, right? Mm-hmm. What what mm-hmm. Kenneth Walker signs for, you know? Some of those guys that were higher up in the yeah, prospect. because that's that's more of where it's like, okay, that's important. I'm not saying these guys are important, but their <laughs> deals are not going to be as big as you know the higher round guys. Agreed. Um, moving on here, the Seahawks will travel a lot this season. The team will travel the most miles of any team, totaling 29,446 miles. They will cross 34 time zones over their 17-game slate. And they will travel 23,000 miles more than the Steelers, who travel the fewest at 6,442. And Pittsburgh will not leave the Eastern time zone. That's ridiculous. So doesn't sound like there's much of a consideration or like balance when they're choosing how often teams will travel here. Yeah, and it's 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 tough because we're in Seattle, right? And you're up in the uppermost corner. You're away from everybody. Closest is obviously California. You know, the East Coast teams get it better because you've got the Midwest teams, right? And you've got the rest of the East Coast teams. So like Pittsburgh, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. I don't know why they're not traveling to California at all. I mean, it might be the way their schedule plays out this year. Yeah, I haven't seen who um, their opponents are, but but it's uh yeah, it's a little bit weird. Um and obviously frustrating. And that's something that I think people talk about sometimes. I don't really buy much stock into it. They're like, Oh, you're up in the highest corner of this the the country. People aren't gonna wanna do that because the travel. Eh, you know, obviously it hasn't played that much of a, I don't know. It seemed like for the longest time in like the early 2010s that it seemed like when Seattle would play the, the 10 a.m. games, they just looked groggy. They yeah. looked unprepared. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that they've done better at over the years. They've gotten maybe coming in a few days earlier, getting acclimated. So you're not like jet lagged. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I, I'm really interested to see if, you know, we go into like midseason, right, with all these miles. <laughs> and you're playing a 10 a.m. game and you see how the Seahawks just look like they're asleep still. So, I mean, it was something to think about, just like with draft picks. It's like, obviously, this might look like in the draft case, it might look good now. In this case, it looks bad now with all the miles. But I have to see how it plays out because how things look on paper isn't always how they play out. So I don't know. And it's, it doesn't look ideal, certainly, but yeah. they could they could overcome it. Luckily, they play weekly and not like every oh, so yeah. often, you know, so hopefully they're able to adjust and that doesn't affect their gameplay. On May 7th, Pete Carroll says that Drew Locke would be the number one QB in this year's draft. The Seahawks head coach says that Drew Locke is better than any quarterback in the 2022 draft. Also stated that he does not envision the, tra- the team trading for a quarterback. And the team reportedly felt that QB Malik Willis was nowhere near NFL ready. Those are some strong words. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, we looked at our draft coverage, right? Mm-hmm. If we was a quarterback, I was going with Malik Willis. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we'll get to some t- uh, league notes here in a second regarding Malik. But it's interesting. Um, you know, it just seems like since that trade that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have 
the, the organization as a organization as a whole has really doubled down on Drew Locke. They're mm-hmm. like this they is, have. and they just want to surround him with talent and let him do his thing. As compared to how maybe his situation might have played out in Denver, I've come to. I mean, you know, there's like the stages of grief or whatever is like <laughs> Which anger, one denial. And I think I'm in acceptance now. Okay. It's like, all right, we have to just accept it, and I just because that's how it seems like it's going to go. Yeah. Maybe Drew Locke comes out and he's an, he's an average to good quarterback. Okay. But maybe above average, fine. If he comes out and really disappoints, then the anger will come out. Mm-hmm. If we reach week eight and he's just throwing ducks and just making the bad decisions, then we can whatever week that is on CSS on Converge, there will be anger. <laughs> but until then, you just kind of got to let it play out, and we'll see how that goes. But do you think him sliding as far down in the draft as he did means that other organizations might think the same way? I think so. Yeah, yeah I think. You talked about the draft, right? I know Kenny Pickett. We talked about him getting selected by the Steelers, but a lot of guys, you know, it was like, when is a quarterback going to be taken? Yeah. You know, and I think, I mean, it was talked about before the draft even happened about the potential of this draft being one of the worst for a quarterback. Because mm-hmm. there's always, you know, it's the NFL draft is usually if you're a high pick team, you're picking a quarterback. We go back, we talked about the Steelers, right? Mitch Trubisky was a high pick that Chicago traded up for. Trey Lance. You know, Robert Griffin III, Andrew Luck, uh, Trevor Lawrence, you know, top like 10 picks in the draft are usually when someone goes. I think the Ravens picked Lamar Jackson at 32. Yeah. So, you know, usually the first round is somewhere where you, you take a quarterback. And to hear that this draft was weak in that, bad. And it sounds like next year's draft will be a lot better for a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe I've seen something that says, hey, Seattle lets Drew Locke play out this year, see how he does. And if not, they have a first and a second rounder next year for one of those picks. Yeah, that's so a good point. We'll see about that. But no, I'm interested to see. And I want you to look at league news here because it, it's also telling about Malik. And yes, this could we just be fire for this. him. Honestly, it could just be fire. <laughs> Certainly. Um, on Moving on to league news on May 3rd, Ryan Tannehill made some interesting comments um, about Malik Willis. He said, I don't think that it's my job to mentor him. Uh, Tannehill said that in a press conference, uh, if he learns from me, that's a great thing. Uh, I just don't understand how you're a veteran, like a veteran quarterback, and you don't think that it's your role to have any sort of mentorship in this rookie QB coming in. Well, I don't know if this is just me looking at it this way, considering who Tannehill is, but it's not like I'm Aaron Rodgers and I'm like miles ahead sure. of where Malik Willis would be, <laughs> right? And it's like, oh, this guy who almost like the Jordan Love situation where it's like, okay, is this guy supposed to take my job? What is this? You know, I um, Ryan Tannehill is not like a top five or top 10, maybe top 15 quarterback in the NFL, right? He's a guy that kind of what we want from Drew Locke this year, just be able to <laughs> do the average job, right? He's never been above average. You know, I mean, he's got, he's, look at his offensive line and Derrick Henry, and he had A.J. Brown. He's gone now. He had Julio Jones. I don't know how much of that Julio, you know, I think he's a free agent right now. I think so, yeah. Um, but he's got a good supporting cast, and he performs well with a good supporting cast, you know? Um, so you think he sees it more as, like, he doesn't want to create competition for himself? I think so, but I think that's going to come anyway. Yeah. And for that sole reason, I would like Malik Willis to beat him out. And you're not I the would... only one. I can't remember who it was that tweeted that, but there was certainly a tweet um, that someone felt strongly about Malik taking that position from him. Moving on here. Adrian Peterson will get help. 
longtime NFL running back and former Seahawk Adrian Peterson will undergo 20 sessions of both domestic violence and alcohol counseling following his arrest at LAX. So I think that's our first update since since it happened, finding out that he got yeah. arrested. Yeah. So good thing that he's getting help. Um, that's all we can really hope for, for someone that's struggling with something like that. So um, on May 5th, the Cleveland Browns, it was announced that the Cleveland Browns are unwilling to negotiate Baker Mayfield's release. And there's belief in that, that they don't want to pay him that fifth year option that they previously guaranteed. Mm -hmm. So I think they're trying to get away with not having to give him so much money here. Yeah. <laughs> I would just, prefer him that he stays anywhere away from the Pacific Northwest. Just sure. Go anywhere yes. else. I mean, and I think he's one of the guys where I don't think Pete Carroll showed yep. very much interest. It's one anyway, of those things so. where I want to be there. You're like, <laughs> cool. You know? <laughs> All right. Um, moving on here. Laker legend Magic Johnson has joined the bid for the Denver Broncos. Um, he has teamed up with a 76ers co-owner for an attempt to purchase the team. Uh, currently is already an owner. He owns, he's part owner of the LA Dodgers and the LA Sparks. So this is interesting to me because I can admit that this was the first time that I read that someone is trying to buy Denver. I didn't know there was a potential. I remember there was something that kind of got swept under the rug about them getting put up for sale, but I didn't pay much stock in it because this was before Russell Wilson got traded to Denver. Yeah. So it was like, ah, it's the Broncos. Woo. Meh, <laughs> you know, so like if it's another team, like unless it's in the NFC or the NFC West, I don't really care too much, you know, but that is, I know it's kind of interesting to see a, a lot of the, and we have it more uh, when we get to the rain segment uh, about like, players in different leagues being part owners of other mm -hmm. teams which is interesting yeah. but eh, not that much stake in it for me at least <laughs> if anything does pop up then for sure we will make sure to let you guys know um raiders ex-president has also spoken out dan ventrell says that he informed the nfl of a hostile work environment and he was later fired by mark davis in retaliation um Surprised that that's barely coming out, to be honest, considering that it was a retaliation case. But all the stuff in Las Vegas with the Raiders. What yeah. an organization. Yeah. Well, I don't, I'm not very fond of the Raiders right now. So we'll move on. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> on the sixth, a warrant was issued for Earl Thomas's arrest. Uh, former Seattle Seahawk free safety is reportedly facing a felony arrest or arrest warrant after police said that he violated his estranged wife's protective order multiple times. So is he, he's not the per, the one that said that he wanted to make an appearance back in the NFL. Yes, he, he did. He, that, that was yep. the player. Okay. That was a few days. So a few days after he <laughs> said he wanted to be back, that comes out. Oh, All I can say on that is what a waste, just yeah. a waste of a career. Yeah. I mean, it's like he, there was that situation. I mean, he was doing decently well in uh, Baltimore. You know, with the Ravens mm -hmm. and then all that stuff with his brother happened and then it just kind of all went down. He's definitely had a weird personal life yeah, after, I that's think. <laughs> one way to put it. Um, on May 9th, Sherman is eyeing a TV spot and longtime Seahawks Corner is reportedly in deep talks with Amazon for a broadcasting role. And that is something that I think I would like to see. I think he'd do really well. Mm -hmm. Richard's obviously a really smart guy, you know, went to Stanford. Uh, always had a great football IQ. Um I know that he said he's still like keeping the playing aspect of it open, mm -hmm. um, but it's really it'll be interesting to see. I would I would like to see that. Yeah. Like you said, I would like to see Richard Sherman um, in that sort of role. And looking ahead, all we have left on our Seahawks 
list here for looking ahead is rookie minicamp. So that should be coming yeah, up. Minicamp taking place, and then I think on the twelfth, the league schedule officially goes uh, goes yes, live. So we'll obviously look at the way that plays out. Um, but the, I mean, that's kind of like a housekeeping thing. It's like mm-hmm. when we'll play who, but obviously you can look at when the bye week is because that's important. You know, if you get a late bye week, good. Um, but yeah, not too much going on. Obviously, yeah. the mini camp, and I don't think we'll see too many of like the undrafted guys get whittled down yet. But certainly, an important time for them, right? Definitely, because they're fighting for their spot. So, with that being said, we'll switch over to uh, regular season play with the Seattle Mariners here over the past week. Not the easiest past. I mean, we talked about it even last week. It wasn't that easy. Um, I think with the I think before yesterday's game, before Sunday, the Mariners had lost ten of their last eleven. So this spans over the, the kind of the earlier part of May. So let's get right into it. Um, over the past week, playing their three-game series against the Astros, May 2nd at the Astros, a 0-3 to loss. So as you know, when we get shut out, nobody gets mm-hmm. player of the game. Yeah. May 3rd at the Astros, a 0-4 to loss. So again, no player of the game. But just a small note, uh, Dusty Baker makes history. Uh, Baker becomes the 12th MLB manager with 2,000 wins, becoming the first black manager to reach the achievement. So Dusty breaking some barriers there that was you know i like dusty baker as a manager don't get me wrong but it's because he's with houston it's yeah. kind of like uh <laughs> you know but cool to see dusty reach that achievement and certainly obviously really cool to see him break that barrier there yeah. um and obviously i wanted to to keep that noted but keeping it up here with uh the scores wrapping up the houston series may 4th at the astros so get swept a two to seven loss played the game third baseman eugenio suarez going one for three with a run and two rbis but obviously disappointed to get swept by Houston. Like I said, you want to be um, any semblance mm-hmm. of a playoff team, you're going to have to just win series flat out. Don't care how you do it. Don't go if it's winning the first and the last games of a three-game set, winning the first two, winning the last two, you've got to win series. And if you're going to do it in this division right now, you have to be Houston because Houston, until they falter, they're the team to beat. And you did it in the first series. Good. This one, you get swept. So, Obviously, well, that's the thing, too, is it's not like you can just lose a couple here in the beginning. You play the entirety of your schedule against Houston before All-Star break. So you have to make that count. Yeah. Because if you can have like a winning record against Houston going into the All-Star break, I say that sets you up pretty well. It does. But, you know, we'll see. Focusing over to Tampa Bay here and the Rays in the home series against Tampa Bay after playing them on the road last week. Uh, four games set against the Rays here, May 5th versus the Rays, a 3-4 to four loss. So a tough one there, a one-run differential. Player of the game, this is a hitter that day, Adam Frazier going one for three with a run and an RBI. Uh, May 6th versus the Rays, uh, a 7-8 to eight loss. So another tough game there. Uh, Bell's first game in, in the, the press, press box. box. Um, so tough to have you set out there. But it was obviously exciting, so that's good to know. It was very exciting. Um, I think Jared Kelnick had a two-run homer. Was it in the was in the eighth top bottom of the eighth, or was mm-hmm. that in the top? Yeah, Jared Kelnick takes the lead, bottom of the eighth. Uh, but then obviously Tampa Bay. I think it was Manuel Margot. Manuel Margot, yep. He was a menace. He in did that series. so good that series. Was it three homers in three games? Yes, and they all came in the eighth inning or later. Yes. Yep. Little He's stat right there. <laughs> All right, and what? What that that game? In the next game, he had a grand slam, and we'll get to it. We'll get back to the scores <laughs> here. Um, so that seventy-eight loss. Player of the game once again, Eugenio Suarez at third base, going two for three with three runs, three RBIs, and two walks. He had two homers that game, I believe. Right? 
Yes. And so Suarez showing up there with the power now leads the Mariners in home runs with six. May 7th versus the Rays, a 2-8 to eight loss. Things kind of fall apart there, like we mentioned. Margot with a grand slam, player of the game, second baseman Adam Frazier going 2-3 for three with a uh, one RBI and a walk. And then to close out the series, looking to avoid being swept, the Rays coming in with a six-game winning streak, the Mariners coming in with a six-game losing streak. Um, they win that game, 2-1 to one in 10 innings. So Bell, again, in the press box for that one, getting to see a walk-off there. Uh, in George Kirby's debut... Coming straight from Double A, we'll get to that in team-related news, so we can get the the, the roster moves there. But mm-hmm. uh, they're able to walk it off in the tenth inning, bottom of the tenth. George Kirby with a great debut, uh, and he's our player of the game actually. Uh, starting pitcher George Kirby going six innings, only allowing four hits, no runs. So obviously no earned runs, uh, no walks, and seven strikeouts. He's the first pitcher in Mariners history uh, to throw six scoreless innings in his MLB debut. So. Some history there for Mr. Kirby there. It's I'm going to have trouble thinking about George Kirby because I just think of the video game character the entire time. <laughs> We're going to have to come up with a graphic for that. Um, but a great start. We'll get to him more in a second mm-hmm. here. Uh, so kind of tough. You win, what, one of those seven that we just went over? Oh, yeah. And that last game, I mean, they came back at the end to win, but it was... Offense struggling oh, again. Oh, yeah. It wasn't until the seventh inning that anybody put points on the board. So... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nice to get a win on Mother's Day, though. And, and walk-offs are always fun. I think, again, I think I said it in a tweet, but back-to-back homestands where the Sunday game ends in a walk-off. Yeah. Because that was the first game that we uh, – I was in the press box, and that was that 13-inning game against oh, Kansas City goodness. where Winker was able to walk it off, and then you go to this one, and then they walk it off against the Rays on the 10th inning as Ty France gets a single. Um, so with that being said, talking about this France guy – uh, that we talked about a lot here. <laughs> we go over to Player of the Week, and yes, again, Ty France for me. Uh, I had Ty France as my Player of the Week with 29 at bats, eight hits. And numbers a little bit down, but it was a tough week for the team as a whole. Yeah. Uh, one RBI, eight total bases, a walk, a 276 average, a 300 on base percentage, a 276 slugging percentage, a 576 on base plus slugging, and one walk off, like we just mentioned. Bell went over with our young center fielder. Uh, Mr. Julio Rodriguez, and we'll look at the stats here. Um, interested to see the selection for Julio. What was uh, yeah, the Julio had, behind that? Well, I mean, it was honestly being in the press box and seeing him steal that base to get his 10th steal leading and Major still League Baseball. leading the league. Yeah, yeah I so get that. That was what swayed it more. Like you said, it was kind of a tough week. Um, normally, I see what people's averages are, and it just our guys were the numbers were pretty low. So I went with something that uh, I thought was really cool about Julio. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you, you talk about the stolen base, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there was worry. And again, I get the worry with bringing up guys early. I was still worried about Kirby. We'll get that at in a second. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to note, you know, like you talk about the stolen bases, that's just another way that you contribute to this club. Because obviously being on first is great, but you move to second, you're in scoring position right. technically. And with his speed, there's so many <laughs> plays where it's an inf- it looks like an inf- just a ground out, and he's able to run it out. Getting on base, being a guy that you can count on to get on base, to steal bases, and to move up, you know, to make pitchers because you worry about that as a pitcher. Oh, definitely. There you're were like, okay, this, plenty of times. So Julio's on base, so I have to know that he's thinking about that. Yeah. You know, and a guy that you know obviously is still a lot of fun, right? Uh, he's always got a smile on his face. Um, 
I don't have I don't have the video for you, but I met Julio a few days ago. There was a signing mm-hmm. over in Mill Creek, and I told him mm-hmm. I'd see him in the press box. And the dude's face lit up. You can see in the video his like, eyes. <laughs> I don't know if it was more surprise. But he's like, you know, but <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. Um, and I think obviously he's what twenty one. He's twenty one. He hasn't he's reached anywhere near his. He's one year older than me. Not to age anybody. Hey, but, aging me. <laughs> um, but you know, baseball prime was like 26, 27. So I'm not, you know, he will just continue to get better. Yeah. That's exciting. So yes, I think, I think that's a solid pick there. Uh, they're not so well, mm, there's like one good thing in injury news here. Uh, we look over to injury news on May 3rd. It was announced that Kyle Lewis would begin his rehab assignment joining the Rainiers. Kyle Lewis has had a, he's had a solid, uh, time in Tacoma so far. He's had some home runs. He's had some solid hitting. Uh, he had one game where I think he went on like one for five, but he's he's working his way back. And I, I'm really – it's going to be tough when Kyle Lewis, you know, is ready to join mm-hmm. the ball club again, which has been talked about. He might join him next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone's going to have to go down, and it might be Jared. But the thing with Kelnick is that he's been the, – the coaching staff has talked about this. You know, Scott Service has talked about this. He's been seeing the ball well. They like how he's swinging the bat. He's just been unlucky. Like a lot of players on this team, like Jesse Winker – Suarez is, you know, we look at the expecting batting averages. The Mariners should be mm-hmm. hitting the ball better. But the shift, obviously, and it'll be interesting to see next season when they ban the shift, how well some of these guys do. Um, but I don't know. It's my thing with Jared Kelnick, too, is he's 22 years old. Really? I didn't know that about I, him. I could be very wrong. But he, my thing is that he's he's young, right? Just like Julio. And, you know, like I said... Um, he's 20, yeah, he's 22 years old, born July 16th, 1999. Um, he's 22 years old. He's one year older than Julio Rodriguez. He didn't see, he, he's seen some time in Tacoma, but he's still 22. Like I said, baseball prime is 26, 27. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. But if the pressure continues to add on to him and they don't let him just play his game, he's going to be wrecked. Because mm-hmm. if you're if you're put put it in your shoes, right? If you're a younger, um, oh, <laughs> just say that you're in your position, right? And you've just got people constantly judging every single move no, you make. Tough, yeah. It's it's a lot of pressure. And then another another person comes up around your age group and starts doing maybe a little bit better, and they're like, oh, why why isn't he playing like Julio? That's just more and more. Yes. Yeah. And this is a guy that's your teammate. You're supposed to be having fun with this guy, and they're they're stacking you guys up. So I just I want people to cool the brakes on Jared Kelnick. I wanted that to happen last year too, and he had a good September and a solid few games in October. You know, I, I think about that game against the the Athletics last year. Uh, he hit a, a big double into the right center field wall um, that helped the Mariners win that game. He's gonna be fine. And we talked about this week with that mm-hmm. two run homer and and it being. A pinch hitter. I hate uh, not because it's Dylan Moore, but because you bring in Dylan Moore to play right field. Jared Connick is more than capable in right field. Just leave him. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be fine. That's me personally. I think Jared Connick will be fine. Um, so continuing with the injury news here um, on the seventh, uh, we, we can see here we've got a great photo of it, but let's talk about Tom Murphy first. You see his name mentioned. Catcher Tom Murphy was placed on the 10 day IL with a dislocated shoulder. Yeah, so, so we actually saw that was pretty. Was that brutal? Not, to look at? we didn't see it so much happen. I would say, but we saw his reaction after it. So he had the ball in his hand, and he just kind of drops it, and then like 
tries to lift his arm signaling that like something is wrong. So, yeah. Ah, that's disgusting. <laughs> so that's why, you know, the club was, is without Murphy right now and why we'll see a corresponding move to bring up Carl Raleigh. But we look back here on the same day, J.B. Crawford was pulled from the game with back spasm. You can see this photo by the great Liv Lyons. Great photo. Um, I, I noticed during the game that J.P. Crawford was taken out and Dylan Moore was slotted into shortstop. I said, what the hell is that about? So I tweeted about <laughs> it. And I was texting with Liv down in the, the, the camera well. And I said, hey, you got any, anything? Do you see anything? She says, I've actually got a photo of it. I think this is when he got injured. And we'll go back to it here. You can see this is the photo she got. You can see him going down. J.P. had kind of something that they preached to not do is slide into first uh, or jump in, like dive into first base to get the bag. And so got injured, got pulled. But that was really cool to get that immediately when that story happened. And we would later be told in the press box that he was uh, he had a back spasm. Um, so we'll see about that. You know, obviously with these next series, he's playing the Phillies, which is his former ball club, which I'm sure he would love to do. But we, we haven't. I don't think I've got the lineup yet. Um, they did rest him last night. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have the lineup yet, so we don't know uh, at the time being. And we'll probably find out here in a few hours. Mm-hmm. But. There is that on the eighth right-handed pitcher uh, reliever. Ken Giles was transferred to the 60 day injured list with a right middle finger sprain. So that's not good. Uh, Ken Giles is a guy that a few years ago, the Mariners signed him last year. uh, A few years ago was a top reliever in this league. And it was really exciting to look at the performance of last year's bullpen for the Mariners and add a guy like Giles. And he suffered a setback in spring training. And now seeing him transfer to the 60 day is not ideal. But I think if you can get him midway through the season, you add a lo- another another great reliever into a group of solid relievers that you've got mm-hmm. that'll really help your ball club. But I'm just hoping that we see positive momentum with Giles there. Uh, heading over to team-related news, we've got a decent amount of roster moves here starting on the 5th. Uh, right-handed pitcher Riley O'Brien was recalled. Left-handed pitcher Danny Young was selected. And right-handed pitcher Matt Brash was optioned to AAA Tacoma. Right-handed pitcher Matt Festa was placed on the 15-day injured list. Left-handed pitcher Nick Margavichis was designated for assignment. Right-handed pitcher Matt Koch uh, cleared waivers and was outrighted to AAA Tacoma. On the 7th, the big news broke that uh, AA prospect, top pitching prospect in the marriage organization, George Kirby, was called up from AA Arkansas, as you can see here with this great photo by Matt Bermudez. Uh, I don't like the number 68 that he's got on, but he pitched damn well. So I think he... He really did. I think he can... I think we can let the 68 fly. <laughs> um, but Matt... You know, I think he did a great job uh, with the games that you guys got. Same as Liv. Uh, we're, I'll do this right now. We have great photographers here at Converge. Man, now it's so cool to be able to, you know, obviously we've got a great staff here. You know, Salman behind the camera. Um, to have these photographers to be able to bring these photos to life is incredible. You know, and we had some great photos from Mother's Day. Uh, you'll be able to head over to our uh, social media. Uh, so can you put the... What am I right here? What am I right over here? Um, Instagram, Circling Seattle Sports. Try to get as many of those photos as we can. You know, if we get photos during the game, we try to put them up. I don't know. I'm a simple man. So I see these ones. I'm like, this is incredible. You know, and it just, I think it takes our content to a greater level. Like being able to have this. I think that's a great shot. Um, But anyway, uh, also on the seventh, catcher Kyle Raleigh was recalled from AAA with the move that, um, Tom Murphy, obviously with a dislocated shoulder, mm-hmm. will be out for a decent bit. I I don't know. Uh, we'll have to figure that out. 
And then on the eighth, right-handed pitcher uh, Riley O'Brien was optioned to Triple A Tacoma. So uh, we're going to keep moving here with league notes. But before that being said, oh, did I get the lineup? Yes, I did. Oh. Um, nope, Dylan Moore is a shortstop, so no oh, JP today. No JP. So we'll have to uh, try to figure out. Um, I'll be there today. I'll try to figure out if there's any update on that. Yeah. Um, but what I'll say about George Kirby. I get it. We're going to be really excited about George Kirby. He's a great prospect. He's got a lot of talent. I'm sure some great stuff. But he's just come from Double A. In case you don't know, Double A, Triple A majors is how that uh, usually works. He skipped Triple A. Triple A is the closest that you'll get to major leagues. And he just came straight. It's like you skip seventh grade and go straight to high school, right? Kids kind of skipping a step. And if you're able to do that, great but I want people to not be so ready to put all of their chips in right now on this guy. Cause he's young too. He's your top prospect mm-hmm. in, in the organization pitching wise. Um, I just don't want you to like put all this weight on this kid because if he, people will watch the film from Sunday and they'll say, okay, where can we attack his pitches? What is he lacking? What maybe his off speeds a little bit lacking. Maybe his fastballs, not the best control. They will watch film on him and the league will adjust, you know? So I'm just, cautioning don't put all the pressure on this guy if he comes out like i was telling bell we were talking about it before the the recording began if he comes out and he lights it up and doesn't look back great there's a reaction (laughs) image for you um but i just kind of want you to be cautious and don't you know go over the moon just yet um so continuing with league related notes on the second uh we have two uh, umpires owning up to their mistakes this week the first home plate umpire chad fairchild admitted to mets pitcher chris bassett that he had missed a strike call during the game and would apologize after the inning had ended which is really cool to see if you're a player or anybody right and some official tells you something and then they go and they get it wrong and they say hey it's my bet it's it's nice to have some accountability it is right so Take that one. On the fourth, remember Kelsey Whitmore? We talked about her last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, she continues to make more history. Whitmore becomes the first woman to pitch in an Atlantic League game, getting out of a bases-loaded jam. So, hey, man, Kelsey Whitmore continues to make history. Um, on the fifth, MLB umpire uh, number two owns up to his mistake. Umpire Dan Bellino issues an apology after he controversially ejected Madison Bumgarner on Wednesday, taking full responsibility. It was uh, one of those substance checks where he took his hand and was looking at it and some words were said and Bumgarner got ejected really shortly after that. And I was like, why are you ejecting him so quickly? Um, I don't know. Obviously you can't go in back in time and take that back, but it's kind of nice to know that they're owning up to it, but obviously you'd want those decisions to be, you'd want that fair level headedness in the moment. But maybe them admitting to the mistake will help them in future situations going forward yes i would that's yeah exactly exactly that i'm I'm hoping that that is like okay i made this mistake in the past let's correct this yeah and then move forward um and then on may 8th the mets cut robinson cano the former mariner was released by the mets uh making the 39 year old uh second baseman a free agent the mets still owe cano 39 million dollars um yeah if you don't remember he was traded to the mets by our seattle mariners um so, I mean, it's kind of tough. Robbie's had a, a pretty solid career, uh, just kind of a tough um, situation there for him to get cut. But, I mean, the Mets are a good ball club right now. they got a lot of good pieces. You know, they, want any, they don't want anything holding them back. Sure. So, uh, I, I get it. 
So we look at the Mariner standings here. They sit at a 13 and 16 record with that six game losing streak we talked about. Um, third in the AOS right now, but obviously, again, it's early, so I'm not, you know, going to cry and be all sad about it. Looking ahead, as we mentioned, they take on the Philadelphia Phillies for a three game stretch. May 9th is a 640 start tonight. May 10th is another 640 start. Uh, and then May 11th versus the Phillies in a matinee game at 1240 to wrap up that series. The Mariners then take a travel day and head over to New York to play those Mets we were just talking mm -hmm. about. May 13th through 15th. May 13th is a 4.10 p.m. Pacific time start. May 14th is also a 4.10 Pacific time start. And then May 15th at the Mets is a 10.40 a.m. start over uh, in the Pacific time zone. So, uh, you know, we talked about the Mariners playing sort of a, having a tough skid. Doesn't get any easier. Philly's got some talent. And then the Mets are one of the top teams right now in baseball. So hopefully they can figure easier. it out. It's early season. I'm going to give them a pass, but obviously there are some holes to address. With that being said, kind of a similar situation, some a good good start, and then a, a, a tougher situation. Let's head over to our storm here, Bell. What, uh, yeah. what have we got here over the past, past week? On May 6th, the storm visited actually that was a home game sorry the minnesota lynx visited us and that was a win for the storm 97 to 74 our player of the game is brianna stewart with 17 points three assists and eight rebounds now unfortunately i was at well not unfortunately because i was glad yeah. to be there but i was at a mariners game and i missed this one so i what did you see seattle looked really good i mean this is they looked how we hoped that they, I know that I've talked about concerns with the bench, right? Mm -hmm. But the starters, the big three looked good. I mean, Stewie got out to a difficult start. She went two for 10 from the field to begin the game, really, and then started to turn it on. Jewel Lloyd had a third quarter that looked like Jewel Lloyd last year, and it looks like she's going to continue to build off of last season, and that will be huge, right? Sue Bird had her most assists mm -hmm. in a game with nine since, I think, June 4th of last year. So, I mean, the big three was efficient. Um Sylvia Fowles, who's playing her last year for Minnesota in, in the league, and Ariel Powers got out. They, I think they scored 14 and 12 respectively in the first half, and then those two only combined for four points the rest of the game. Mm. Uh, so the defense was able to lock down. But I think most impressive was the bench. The bench played incredible. John Tell Lavender played well off the bench. Uh, Brian January playing her last year as well, coming from Spokane, or well, living in Spokane from Spokane uh, had led the team with plus minus with 21 plus minus. She didn't score that many points, but her defensive effort was really great. Yeah. Gabby Williams showed great athleticism. Um, and there's another defensive piece that looks great. That third quarter was really where it happened though. The storm were hitting three and after three after three playing great defense. And then Minnesota just got, yeah, it kind of washed away. I think the storm led by like 20, I think they led it by 30 at one point. And that was after being tied at the half. So, you know, they it looked like great bench, great depth. Their veterans on the bench really helped out. And then the big three played well. And that's kind of what you want from this team this year. Um, and they showed out, you know, and it was really great to have that sort of atmosphere back in Seattle, back in the 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 shadow of, well, not the shadow, back in the former Key Arena, now Climate okay. Pledge Arena. Uh, it, was, it was pretty good. It was a yeah. good night. I know you mentioned the bench, and I want to make sure to mention that Epiphany Prince almost went yes. near perfect from field from field goal range. She was five of six and had thirteen points to help in that storm win. So yeah. I thought that was Pip, big. And even even in this Aces game, I know that's a loss, and we'll get to that in a second. But Pip played played great. I'll be I'll be honest. I was a little bit cautious of Pip uh, last year. There were some games I thought she could have added more. 
But to start the season, she's on fire. And that's what you're going to need. You're going to need scoring from your bench. And she's been able to bring that. Um, but that Aces game. Yes, Aces game, moving on. on. Game. <laughs> moving on to that Aces game. Um, yesterday, May 8th, they did visit the Las Vegas Aces. And that was an unfortunate loss, uh, 74 to 85. Again, our player of the game is Brianna Stewart with 21 points, two assists, eight rebounds. And I'm going to leave out those other little tidbits because that adds to... A spoiler later. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. yep. So um, again, she did great. Uh, I didn't get to catch most of the game, but I did see at the end there, um, I think it was like a seven point game and Stewie took a three and unfortunately missed it that I think would have brought them within four. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what was the factor in that one? It was, did Kelsey Plum just come the, in and show out? <laughs> Asia Wilson, okay. you know, former MVP dominated. Uh, okay. There's the Aces starters, probably the maybe the best unit of five in a starting lineup in the league. Dominated our starters, you know, scoring wise. Our bench outscored the Aces bench by far, but the starters for the Aces just they were locked down and they did a great. Adrian Wilson, they had the Aces dominated us in the paint, and that's maybe where you miss a Mercedes Russell, right? Yeah, you know, so that's uh, that was kind of a big factor and uh, I mean the aces are gonna be a good team I'd say that the two teams I'm worried about the most are the aces and maybe the mercury mm-hmm. and in the first game of the season the aces dominated the mercury maybe I put Chicago in there yeah um, definitely throw Chicago in there. yeah my apologies <laughs> um, so I don't know the aces you know storm defeated them in 2020 for the title and I mean that, that was a group with a lot of talent. You know, so it's it's going to be really interesting to see this season how it plays out. I believe in the three games that we played the Aces last year, the store the Aces won two, two or three. So uh, this is another benchmark of if you want to be successful uh, this season, you got to beat Las Vegas. And uh, Jewel, I think, had similar stats to her first game there, so she showed up for the second game as well. Um, but you mentioned Mercedes Russell, and we have a bit more news there with some injury news. Mercedes Russell is out three to five weeks with not a not that non-basketball injury. No details on mm-hmm. again what happened. Um, and a more specific return date will be provided when available. So very vague still. We're hoping to get something more solidified here. Um, something that gives us an idea as to when she will join that lineup. So Moving on to some team notes here. There were some roster moves on May 4th. Seattle waved Evina Westbrook. And I meant to text you on this one because I know that she was your star of the Seattle star of the week last week. And I, it was completely surprising to me seeing how well she did in that, that week that she was your star of the week. You know, what's wild about this, this came like this announcement came shortly after I was at storm practice. So I went to storm practice that morning, (laughs) Uh, talked to John Tell, John Tell Lavender. She's great. Um, I saw uh, that was the, that, that was a different day. <laughs> yeah, that was the morning of the game. That was a shoot around. Um, but I saw Westbrook. I saw Burke. I saw Kiki Herbert Harrigan, and you know Who they were, were all, all there. Yep. And then I'm on. Into. I was heading over to start heading down towards the uh, uh, Lumen Field for the Concacaf Champions League final game that night, and bing. Storm PR Storm tweets. Wave. I'm like, wave. wow. Yeah. So it just, it just, it's. We talked about you know league expansion. We talked about roster growth. We talked about the salary cap, and these are all things that players around the league have talked about because of all these cuts. And to see someone like Westbrook get cut, 
after the performance that she had in the preseason. It's tough, but also considering that the depth you've got at the the guard position and Epiphany Prince, you know, someone that people have talked about cutting in in you know for Westbrook has showed out. So I mean, it's it's tough, but there is so much urgency to win a title this year. Where I understand it, they have to it make just, the tough decisions. It still sucks, though. It still sucks. So yeah, that no words. Yeah, yeah. and just to add to like you said, um, so many people, so many of the WNBA players mentioning how much this league needs expansion because these great players are just not making it. There's first round draft picks that are being waived and just not making the roster. So there are several calls out for an expansion in the league. And that comes from even other sports areas too. So the NBA players, other, yeah. So many people are just seeing how talented these women are and calling for an expansion. So hopefully they're able to figure something out here. Um, Moving on, on May 5th, the team released their opening day roster. That would be for guards, Super, Jewel Lloyd, Epiphany Prince, Brian January, Jade Melbourne. For forwards, we had Brianna Stewart, Stephanie Talbot, Rishonda Gray, and Gabby Williams. Centers, Mercedes Russell, Ezzy Magbegor, and Jontel Lavender. And um, I thought this was interesting, so I threw it on here. Uh, the Storm have done this before, and they're continuing, but they've also added some things here. So they're doing force for change. Uh, Storm stats will raise money for organizations benefiting local BIPOC youth. So every free throw is 2,000 airline miles from Alaska to the Technology Access Foundation. Every 50 assists is $1,000 from BCU to Young Women Empowered. Um, every three-pointer is $50 from Carter Subaru to Treehouse. Uh, every block is $70 from Coinbase towards TechBridge. This was one of the new additions. And every rebound is $10 from Denali all Denali AI to communities in school. Um, so making a change within their local community, which is always admirable. Uh, on May 9th, Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart will be featured in the 2022 Sports Illustrated Edition, dropping May 19th. And again, if you are wanting a sneak peek, then go follow Circling Seattle Sports because Chuck made sure to get that to you guys. Yep. <laughs> kind of cool note, I mean, that they're doing that with five WNBA players to really kind of mark the league's evolution. Yeah. I think it was uh, Neka Agumake, uh, obviously Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart. I think Didi Richards and uh, oh shoot, there's somebody else. I'm forgetting. I'm terribly Uh-oh. sorry. But I mean, cool note there to, yeah. to see them highlight these women in that regard. Uh, and I think it, the the kind of the main point was you know the evolution of the WNBA. So cool for the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition to do that. But yeah, cool yeah. for the WNBA and then cool for women in general just to see that. Um, I mean, super just muscular and she looks great and just knowing that as a woman you can have a body like that or a physique like that and make it onto the sports illustrated magazine it's great so um moving on to league notes here united states to discuss bringing griner home so the state department is ready to get involved after WNBA star is reclassified as wrongfully detained by russia previously the u.s was set to let the case play itself out and it doesn't even it doesn't really feel like there's been updates. So this is kind of but not really an update, but it's good to see that we're finally getting involved in trying to bring her home. No, I think you put it on the spot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, all the courts in the league have the Brittany Griner decal, which includes her uh, number 42. 
Uh, I know that the league, you know, we talked about the the shoe drive that they're doing, and that yeah. happens on yeah. this game on the 14th. Um, but it's interesting. A lot of uh, the players talked about, you know, the seeing that logo on the court um, and just kind of thinking about BG. So, I mean, I'm glad that there's uh, some movement. But, again, it, it's like, hey, man, this should be happening already. You know, yeah. so. And back to the uh, roster cuts and just what's going on in the WNBA. Um, again, stars such as Brianna Stewart have also spoken up about it and just the need for the league to grow and increase roster sizes and salary caps. So let's hope that they can get what they deserve and some of these talented players can make it into the league. Um Chicago will be the host city of WNBA All-Star Week 2022, AT&T All-Star Game set for Sunday, July 10th on ABC. And the league will introduce a new two-day WNBA live event outdoors at Chicago's McCormick Place. Our storm standings, our record currently sets at one and one with one win and one loss. They are third in the Western Conference. And looking ahead, they will be at the Phoenix Mercury on the 11th with a 7 p.m game and on the 14th they will be back home versus the phoenix mercury and that's a 12 p.m game on a saturday and now i will send it back to you for our sounders oh boy (laughs) god what a what a day so we'll get into scores obviously here so over the past week the sounders played may 4th versus pumas in a three to nothing win winning five to two on aggregate aggregate to take the ccl final uh in leg two uh winning that the first MLS team, well, we'll get back to this. So the first MLS team to win that trophy uh, on the CONCACAF Champions League final. Uh, I think the first U.S. team to win a trophy in CONCACAF since 2000, um, setting a record attendance with 68,000, I believe it was 68,741, um, packed into Lumen Field, uh, the most in a CCL game ever. Um that was huge. I mean, the city really showed out. This is a Wednesday, right? Yeah. A Wednesday at like 7, 730, uh, 68,000 people in one building. Uh, how many times is that going to happen <laughs> outside of sports? It doesn't happen. It it's doesn't amazing happen. that that many people showed up to sport. Um, and it was it was huge. I mean, there's always a thing in the press box where they, they say, no, cheering is discouraged. The press box was loud <laughs> and the building shook. Um, the, the press box shook during those goals. So it's... That was huge for the city. I still, I can't really wrap my head around how big that is to put yourself on the world stage effectively, to put yourself on an international stage and to solidify yourself, you know, not only winning that trophy and being the first MLS team to win that trophy, but also now inserting your name into the club world cup Mm -hmm. on an even bigger stage. It's huge. And so when I see these shows around the city that can, they, they pretend to be Seattle sports and they pretend to do what we do here. Uh, and they don't, mention the sounders so they go we don't really count the sounders that's just uh we don't have a bleep button but i would say a word here um it's just it's terrible it is because they've won the most the second most and i'd hold them above the seawolves right now because sounders two mls cups uh seawolves uh two mlr trophies i'd only hold them above the seawolves simply well and then they've got the us open cups and the sporter shield but the ccl trophy i think really kind of makes them the clear two yeah. And I'd hold the Seawolves at three, but obviously the Storm with four are at the above. Top, yeah. But the Sounders, I'd say, are the second most successful club in the city. Uh, you know, you know, Mariners, nothing. Seahawks, one. Uh, Kraken, nothing, obviously. Uh, the Rain uh, have not won an NWSL title yet, but you know, hoping that can change. Um, so four of those 
you can combine for very, you know, so this was huge. This was huge. And they've, the Sounders have been a, a model example, you know, for the success of American soccer, we, you know, with the two MLS cups, with the four us open cups, uh, with the supporter shield, with making the playoffs every year in their MLS iteration, uh, just do things the right way. And now to really have that shown with this trophy, with two injuries at the beginning of the With, game. Yes, there. exactly. To have your MVP finalist and Jao Paulo get injured in the beginning of a game, and we'll get to the injuries here in a second, and to have Nuhu, who is a pretty damn good defender and could be you know, loaned to a different club here with how much success he had in the World Cup qualifiers, to have those guys both go out in like the first 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and then to score all three goals after that, you know, it's... it's I can't say enough about it. I can't say enough about it. Um... So it's it, again, it's fully hard. It's it's hard to really grasp all of this, um, but also to realize that this is the beginning of the season, really. Mm-hmm. So the Sounders yeah. won the biggest trophy that they possibly could this season. They have the U.S. Open Cup coming, which they could also win, which they've won four times, as I mentioned. And that's we'll get to that when that is when we get to upcoming. But then MLS. You know, they still got the full MRS run. That's why we look back to the scores here. You see that FC Dallas lost 0-2. to two. This was a few days after that final. I don't put much stake in that loss. You had a bunch of your depth playing for a majority of the game, so I'm not really worried about it. Yeah. If we get to next week and we continue to see boom, boom, all these losses, losses. sure, I'll panic then. But that's three days after that final. I'm not really worried. No. I'm not really. This is, again, the biggest trophy you could have won this season. And you already won it. So, um, I, for the week, I'd give them a, I give them a, I give them a thumbs up. Um, now we have to get, I, I look at that. I was smiling and now we have to get injury news. It's terrible. No, our player uh, of the game. What? Our player of the game for that. No. You're- oh, oh, I'm skipping it. I thought you were, okay. <laughs> Sorry. For that win over Pumas, I mean, Raul Ruiz Diaz continues to show up. Uh, he, he always shows up in these clutch moments with two goals. Seven shots, five on target in the 89 minutes. Raul always shows up on big stages, and I won't get into it too much uh, for later. Um, so we're heading over to injury news. On the 5th, we had some fallout from the CCL final with injuries. We found out that Nuhu has a thigh contusion. And as we mentioned, Jao Paulo, Seattle's uh, you know MVP finalist last year, has a, was reported to be a possible ACL tear. We find that out right after the final. It would be confirmed. Uh, Zhao will miss the rest of the season. So you're going to play now without the, you know, your MVP finalist. Um, but with that being said, the Sounders have always, you know, been able to get production from other guys on their roster. So at the end of the day, I think they'll be fine, but it obviously is a big blow to lose him regardless. Um, so we head over and look at the MLS record as now we don't get to really focus on CCL. Um the Sounders sit at a two-win, five-loss, one-draw record in MLS play, 13th in the Western Conference. Looking ahead, they play May 11th versus the San Jose Earthquakes. That is a 7 o'clock start. It's technically a home game, but it's at Starfire Sports Complex. Why right. is that? Uh, I think it's just because of the U.S. Open Cup and the way that's all set up. I, okay. think it's, I think that's the only reason because when they've played U.S. Open Cup games before, they've been um, at Starfire, and mm-hmm. I think that's just... It's one of the proto, and okay. I think that's just how it plays into it. But this is a round of 32 game, uh, and then staying in staying in the Pacific Northwest, they will play May 15th versus Minnesota United with a one o'clock kickoff, and that will be back at Lumen Field. So staying um, in the region there, but kind of interesting to see the you know the uh, 
uh, Starfire Sports complex added into that. With that being said, uh, as we talked about it last week, the Kraken finished up their season, and now we have a little bit of a season in review. We're not too much of a, we're already kind of pushing it here, so um, not like going into the deep stats and this and that. But we've got some some little like highlight news kind of thing. Yeah. Um, let's get started with that. Go ahead. <laughs> well, this is your segment, but uh, looking at most valuable player, I think it was pretty synonymous. We both took Yanni Gord, and this was. I mean, selected by the fans as a fan favorite and kind of voted as the Guile Fielder Award as the guy who just shows the heart and the hustle. It could have been Jared McCann having a solid year, and I get that. But I saw Yanni as a guy, you know, as a guy that was there for 30, 30 probably 30-plus 30 games. Yanni Gord was a guy that always brought the effort, always was skating around, had a smile on his face all the time, um, and was so valuable to this club uh, in their inaugural season. So I think it was hard to go with anybody else really. Yeah. Um, it's hard to disagree with the fans when the fans think that someone had such a big impact on the team. So that's exactly why I agreed with you there. Um, for rookie of the year, Chuck's choice and my choice agreeing, uh, Maddie Benier. I think Ooh. it was hard to disagree with this. This is a guy that's your yeah. number two overall pick oh, yeah. and he's kind of deemed as the future of the franchise. And he didn't do anything to discourage that with his play when he got called up after the, uh, Final four loss from Michigan. Um, so, I mean, it, it'll be really exciting to see him get an offseason with the coaching staff and with his teammates and really just be able to continue to build on already a start, solid start of his career. Um, yeah, I mean, it was hard. Obviously, we've had some solid rookie contributions from the club, but I think Beniers was by far yeah. sort of the guy there. Um, looking at Defender of the Year, I... It's tough because a lot of people like the way that Jemmy Alexiak really contributed to the club, and I get that. But Adam Larson, for me, was a guy that played in every single game, was a guy that was able to contribute on the offensive end as well with a decent amount of goals. Um, and, I mean, just being there for every single game, being a consistent spot, not being scratched ever um, from the lineup as a healthy guy, just always being in the lineup, I think that's invaluable. If yeah. you're Obviously, if you're playing at least good, they're going to find a spot for you in the lineup. And that's what happened with Adam Larson. And we were talking about this one earlier, the best goaltender, uh, Philip Grubauer. And um, looking at just how many games he played, he was he was on that list a lot. So <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's tough with Grooby because I know at the beginning of the year there was a lot. I mean, as someone who covers those guys, I have to hear this. But there was a lot, oh, the goaltender's not doing that well. If we sat through the film of these goals that were given up, granted, there will be ones that Grooby could have played better, right? There were a lot of goals that the defense just let him out to dry. Mm -hmm. And is, you know, I mean, he really settled in the second half of the season. So I think that it is tough. And because, like you said, he played a lot more than Chris Drieger did. That's a coaching thing. Can't really right. you know, play out of that. But I think Phillip will be fine going into the next year. You know, let him really get comfortable with this club. Um, and he he had a great second half, I thought. Well, not, maybe not great, but he, he, performed a lot better than he did in the first half. So I think he'll be totally fine. And I think the defense played well too as a, a better as the second half went on. So it's, it's, yeah, I'm not worried about Phillip. I know that there were some people like, Oh, you know, you signed him to a six year deal. Is it that okay? It's like, and he'll be fine. Um, favorite moment. We have a different decision here. I went with the five to three win over the Florida Panthers earlier in the season. I just remember this was a game where Florida was at the top of the league in the standings, right? So you're playing one of the best teams in the league. You're already out of the playoffs. Um, and you beat them on home ice. So, you know, 
take the climate pledge arena atmosphere and you add the, you know, beating the best team in the league at the time or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was a fight. I remember Yanni Gord got in a fight uh, at some point in this game. I believe it was in the second period where both guys just dropped the gloves. And because of the way that the game had been going, because of the atmosphere, so, I didn't do this, you know, with my, my body did this on its own, like subconsciously. I don't know if that's the right word, but my body just started clapping like this, like a, like a, I was just, <laughs> my brain hit another switch and I was like, nope, this is good. I didn't do that on part. I didn't, I looked over to my, the guy I sit next to in the press box. He said, did you see me do that? And he was like, yeah. I was like, I didn't do that. I didn't voluntarily <laughs> that do that. That was all in my head. <laughs> that was involuntary. Like my brain said, clap. It was just a really great game. Um, Bell went to three game uh, win streak late in the season. It's hard to disagree with that. Yeah. I mean, that was Maddie Beneers had just really recently been called up. You know, New Jersey scores his first goal uh, playing against Ottawa here. That was another, I think that was a 42 win. Uh, and then Colorado really capping it off by beating the best team in the Western Conference, a team that right now is chugging along in the playoffs and getting the first three game win streak in team history. I mean, it's yeah. hard to disagree first with that. And only of the season. So. <laughs> Moving on here, um, you did say that uh, Philip Grubauer really got into the groove of things late in the season, and you had him here as the breakout year candidate for 2023. So I think, yeah, like I was talking about, really being able to build off of his second half and continue um, just into the next season uh, with you know some familiarity with some guys around him, probably sign some guys in free agency on the defense, the defenseman side. I think he'll be have a lot better statistical season next year. Um, we'll see, but I think he'll be a lot better. You think we'll have major changes in the off season? Uh, not too major, but okay. I think they're going definitely going to add some guys because I talked about using the draft picks as capital, mm-hmm. you know, to bring in some teams, and they've got good rosters, uh, cap space, and Jam Ron Francis has said that they'll be aggressive. So that certainly means something. Yeah. I would hope. Moving on to some team news here on May seventh. Seventh, the Kraken have signed defenseman Petro Sapala to a two-year entry-level contract that is worth seven hundred and two thousand five hundred words seven hundred sixty-two thousand five hundred AVV. The contract will begin at the start of the 2022-23 season. Petro is a young defenseman who skates well and has an offensive upside, said Seattle Kraken general manager Ron Francis. He's proven himself in the highest ranks in Finland, and we're excited to be adding him to our organization. Comments? Nope. nope. All right. I think I think he'll be a guy that there was some disagreement about it, but I think he'll end up in AHL Charlotte. Uh, I know they said he'll be in training camp, but I think, you know, since you shared time with Charlotte, you shared a team with them, you're going to have to fill up a full roster when you get your own AHL team. So I think at some point they're probably banking on him joining uh, Coachella. That's all I think it is. All right. On the ninth, the Kraken signed forward Max McCormick to a two-year extension, also worth 762,500 AAV, had a solid season in AHL Charlotte, played in 10 NHL games this season. Yeah, so they they signed him up shortly before Charlotte's uh, gearing up for their playoff run. Uh, A lot of the things that I read about him were that he was a guy that was a consistent presence, a good veteran, a good leadership presence. And I think both of these signings that we just looked at are just, you know, young guys that you're going to need to fill out your Coachella roster. Why not? Why not, you know, make sure that you've got one locked up and then bring in another one with upside? Yeah. Um, moving on to some league news here. Philadelphia Fires, their head coach. Flyers fire Mike Yeo, who took over during the season for former coach Aylin 
that's a tough oh. one. Vignalt, I can't, <laughs> can't help you with that. Philly went Hockey's seven, got some tough names. Yeah. Philly went 17-36-7 with Yale, missed postseason. And the Islanders fired their head coach, Islanders president and GM Louis Lam- I feel like I'm being um, tested with these. <laughs> uh, Lou Marillo has decided to move on from Barry Tots after four seasons and three postseason appearances. Um, doesn't sound like a bad track record there. <laughs> I don't know about you, but three and four is pretty good. Yeah. Oh, interesting. We'll see who they decide to replace. And there was there was some murmur about oh the Kraken should go out and try him. I think it's really malpractice if you it's your inaugural season and you just immediately fire the coach from one year. Granted, you know if Hackstall continues to things don't work out, yeah, maybe two or three years from now, I'd pull the Consider plug. It, yeah, but it's after the first year, man. I mean, come on, Too there's no no tell. opportunity, you know, to really grow there. So yeah, I would ease up on that idea <laughs> and again the kraken ended their inaugural season with a record of 27 49 and 6 with 60 points and ended the division in that eighth standing um we will now move on to our ORI. Oh uh, this was uh nwsl has certainly had a week over the past week uh, anyway we'll focus on the rain side of things uh over the past week playing May 4th at the Washington Spirit, a 8-9 to nine loss in penalties. So the rain converted 8, Washington converted 9 to win that penalty shootout. This game only went to a penalty shootout because at the... So it was 0-0 in regulation. Um, the, the Spirit had a handball in their own box, which would have resulted in a penalty kick, but it was not called. And then the whistle blew and we ended regulation. So you get you would have had a golden opportunity to win the game in the final minute of regulation, and the ref says, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, "It's." And this is a game where the Challenge Cup has already been marred with a lot of people have been lost their season to injury already in the Challenge Cup because of the fact that this is additional games onto the regular season yeah. slate. It's been talked about with the Commissioners Cup, right? Uh, the Commissioners Cup, the games are already tied into the regular season. Just some are Commissioners Cup games and some aren't. It's already worked into the regular season, right? So why isn't that a thing? And the Challenge Cup isn't even that incentivized. I know that they uh, there was a um, sponsorship signing uh, a few days ago that made it so that the payout would be more than it is. But you're seeing, like I said, a lot of people, a lot of players in the NWSL had season-ending injuries in the Challenge Cup because of poor officiating that did not discourage the way that some of these tackles were made that got these injuries. Um, and it was, we'll get to it in league news, but it's, there was just a lot of bad officiating and injuries that took place in challenge cup that really just kind of overshadowed the actual result. You know, more people saw the injuries than saw the, who cared about the actual one, the, yeah. the team that won the tournament. So the rain loses the spirit for the second time in the past week um, off of a team they probably shouldn't have even lost. Um, we'll get back to the score here. And then May 8th versus Racing Louisville at home in the regular season opener back at Lumen Field. A 2-2 two to two draw, player of the game, forward to Ziara King with two goals and two shots, uh, playing in 55 minutes. It was, it was uh, Ziara's first career brace in the NWSL and professional uh, side of things, so congrats to Z on that. But this was a game also that, you know, there was a lot of fouls. It Just the officiating got away from things, and... The second goal that Louisville scored to, you know, really draw things up and so that the rain didn't get a win was very controversial because it was on the goal line and it got cleared by Bethany Balser. It looked like it got cleared, but we don't have a 
distinct view of it because there's no video replay. Um, video assisted replay, I think, is yeah. what VAR is. There's no, I, so there's nothing on the line that tells me. There's no goal line technology, so I can't tell. And Bethany Balser asked the referee right after the goal was given, said, hey, you know, why did you do that? He said, oh, he made a really dumb comment. He's like, I'm taller so I can see. And Bethany Balser goes, that's impossible or whatever. And she said, the, the referee, the response was basically, oh, well, it's just a goal. Just excuse me? It's like, if you're a professional in this league, how can you respond to a player like that? And it's just, the, the league is, ugh, it's a mess. Um, it was just a whole big mess. So the rain, you know, get a, a draw there at least. It's not a loss, but it's still, it should have been a win. It should have been three points instead of a point. Um, and league-related news, as we talked about with Magic Johnson earlier, Kevin Durant joins the New York uh, slash New Jersey Gotham FC ownership group, part of 35 Ventures uh, founded by Durant. The former Supersonic is now a minority investor in Gotham FC. Talk about Challenge Cup issues. We continue that as we talk about league news. Uh, the semifinal sees that handball in the box was not called. And then the final, the Challenge Cup final, sees numerous injuries, including a seizure um, and missed calls that outshined the actual game itself. There was a really scary moment in the game where uh, Jordan Baggett was suffering a seizure. Um, and the medic that was wheeling out the gurney, um, or yeah, I think that's the right word, mm-hmm. was taking too long. So her own teammates had to go and run alongside of the grenade so that they could get it to her in time. Oh my gosh. It was insane. It was insane. And this is what I talk about with the league. Just you want women's soccer to grow. You want women's sports to grow, but the league is not the, like the, the, the organization that is running the league itself is not helping that. You know, the players are there. They're doing their part. Yeah. It's just about the, the, the way that the, I guess the, those in charge, right are doing things because the officiating has been bad for a long time the broadcasts have issues you know the broadcasters misgender people all the time and they had an issue last season where i think it was just mcdonald's um i think it was just mcdonald's there was a player's son they were looking they called another child a player's son they put it up they had it on the the big the cameraman and it's it was just some kid and they put just mcdonald's son some totally random kid so there's a lot of problems with this league and you'd love to see it succeed. I would love for the NWSL to succeed, but there's just so many issues and they need to be corrected. One of those was the uh, collective bargaining agreement with the players this past off season, but yeah. there's, it's, there's a long way to go. Uh, we talk about the league, uh, potential league expansion was talked about uh, record sending attendance for the start of the regular season showed a surge in fan interest said commissioner, Jessica Berman. So that, you know, continued expansion should continue to happen, but. Leave that be um, as we got to continue here. Looking ahead, the Reigns sit at a zero win, one draw, one loss record. They sit at 10th in the NWSL table out of 12. Looking ahead, they play May 13th at the Portland Thorns. So a rivalry game there. Mm-hmm. And we hate, hate Portland. Uh, well, not always, but the sports <laughs> teams at least. Um, with a 7.30 p.m. Pacific time start time, that will be streamed on the CBS Sports Network if you are going to look for the streaming option. So we head over... Now we talked about record-breaking scores, and we head over to yeah. our Sea Wolves. So, about what uh, what are we talking about? Our Sea Wolves had a game against the Dallas Jackals on the eighth, and they won that seventy-four to seven. Um, player of the game was Riker Hadding, two tries and huge win over Dallas. Currently leads the MLR, and the team sets Major League Rugby record for most point scores in a match and biggest score margin. You were there. Nope. 
You weren't there. Nope. I thought you were there. Nope. I was just following it along. That was insane. I mean, this is a game against Dallas. Dallas is an inaugural team. They're in their first year, right? They're 0-12 right now. Well, they came into that game 0-12. Now they're 0-13. But as we talked about for weeks with the Seawolves, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe even months now. Every game is really crucial, especially with how tight this Western Conference is. Um, with the win, Seattle got with how many uh, tries they scored, they got a bonus point. So they got the maximum amount of points possible. Um, and now they sit in that third playoff spot. There's only three from the Western Conference, and they now sit in that final spot. Um, is that spot a little more secure, though? Not necessarily. No. I think three points separates you in fourth place. Mm-hmm. Um, so really cool to see that, though. That they really that was 74 points. That's insane. And obviously setting records. 11, 11 tries scored. Uh, I believe it was nine different players scored tries. Uh, I could be wrong. I think it might have been. I think it was nine. Um, but that was what they needed to do. Yeah. This is a bad Dallas club. You needed to win this game, and you got the maximum points. You did what you needed to do. Moving on to some league news here. The MLR announces 2022 draft time and process. The third annual collegiate draft will be 39 player. 39 players will be selected over three rounds. will air on Thursday, August 18th at 4 p.m. And on FS2, and the later picks will be on the Rugby Network. Um, this year's draft is open to U.S. and Canadian collegiate athletes. Order of selection will be determined by the inverse order of standings from the 2022 MLR season. And teams will have until the midpoint of the MLR season after the player's collegiate elig- eligibility ends to reach an agreement with the player. Um, looking at back at our Seawolves and their record in standings, they set, sit at a record of 7-6, and six, third in the Western Conference, as you mentioned, with 36 points. Um, and looking ahead, they have a May 15th matchup at Rugby New York. That's a 12 p.m. game, and that is at JFK Stadium, Stadium in Hoboken. I just want to look at this, right? We talked about this for weeks, talked about winning out. So Rugby New York is now, they're, they're tied. I th- well, the sec- they're at second place in the Eastern Conference. Third place is eight and four as well. So they're both eight and four. Uh, but they're a playoff team is my point, right? Yeah. So Rugby New York is another playoff team. You have to play on the road now. So coming off this great win, that's great. But you're playing another playoff team. And then you play Houston in the final home game of the season. Uh, right after that, Houston is, I think, in fourth. And they're also, they're, I think you're three points above Houston. So they're vying for a spot. You have to win that game. Um, and then the final game of the season is against the defending champs from last year, the LA Guiltinis. Um, and they're at second in the Western Conference. So let's see, second in the East, uh, fourth in the West, right below you, and then second in the West. It's it's, it's going to be tough. Yep. I mean, they, this is the gauntlet you have to run if you want to make the playoffs. But I'm hoping that, you know, with this performance, it leads you into uh, some good momentum going forward. Yeah. So I know we teased them both as the, the episode went on, and we're pushing it here, but... Uh, we're going to wrap up here with, obviously, Star of the Week. And, Belle, why don't you start it off with your selection? I went with Stewie. I know that a lot of um, basketball players say that personal accolades aren't as big as, of course, winning the championships. But Brianna Stewart has hit that 3,000 points, and she ties Diana Taurasi and Simon Augustus for second-fastest player to reach 3,000. So, Big mark there for Stewie, and we just continue to support our number one WNBA player and celebrate her success. So congrats, Stewie. Yeah, I mean, 
this is a player that I think every time she's been healthy for the postseason, the Storm have won the title. So, you know, uh, I, can't, I can't disagree with you there necessarily, but I went uh, with Raul Ruiz Diaz here. I mean, the two goals in the final to really begin the scoring for Seattle, all Seattle needed to do to win that CCL final was win one to nothing, and Raul comes in, gets a goal right before the half, uh, I think it was right before the half, but he scores the first goal yep. and then the second goal and really just, he shows up in big moments. He shows up in big moments. Okay. Um, and, you know, getting him to sign an extension this offseason was huge. Uh, and he's been a killer up at the striker position for the Sounders for as long as he's been in Seattle. Uh, he's the highest scoring player in uh, Sounders uh, postseason history. He's the, I believe, the second highest scorer in all club, all competitions, I could be wrong on that. Um, it might be outdated, uh, the stats I was reading, but he just shows up. He shows up when it matters the most. He scored the final goal in the 2019 MLS Cup. You know, it's he show, he's a clutch. You want to use that word? I think he fits that description. So <laughs> I think Stewie does too. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so two of them, there you go. Yeah. So with that being said, we're kind of pushing it here, probably our, one of our longest episodes, but ton of things to go over with that being said always thank your directors i mean salman had to sit and watch us here for an hour and 20 minutes uh <laughs> thank you people behind the camera in both regards right directors producers photographers uh big shout out to Liv and matt there for their work over the past week uh, and congratulations to bell here uh for the press i mean no that's thank a big you. thing i know that's a big thing it was for a you. big thing so it's uh exciting to see that throughout the season you know just continuing and uh, continuing to grow in every way that we can here on this show. Uh, until next week, until we see you again, take care of yourself, be well, and do uh, the best that you can to make today a great day. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.